you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Good morning, City on a Hill. Happy Sunday. If you don't know me, my name is Laura Hoovenhaas. I am the mum of two beautiful children, Lily and Henry, and the wife of an amazing husband, Daniel. Uh, When I'm not running after my two little munchkins, uh, which certainly keep me on my toes, I am the people and culture manager at an organisation called Thank You. However, I am very excited this morning to be reading God's word with you. So, If you have either your Bibles or your Bible apps, as I'm reading from, uh, please look up uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 26, and we're reading the story of Jesus heals a man with a demon. Let's read. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had not worn clothes. And he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, but he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let him enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Thank you, Laura, for reading the Bible to us this morning. And good morning, everyone. Uh, Thank you so much. So glad that you have chosen to join with us this morning from wherever you are. Uh, My name is Neil, and I get to be one of the pastors here at Sydney Hill. Uh, I'm going to pray as we dive into this text. So I'd love for you to join with me as we do that. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we, uh, we thank you for your word to us. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would just be doing the the miraculous this morning and that just by your Holy Spirit, uh, you would be working in our hearts and our minds this morning. Lord, would you give us uh, eyes to see, ears to hear, and tongues to taste 
uh, your beauty and your glory. And Lord, I pray that just uh, what I have to say this morning might be uh, uh, so pleasing to you that you may choose to use it for your purposes this morning. And we pray these things in the mighty, mighty name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Well, uh, now we've been able to, we've kind of been free a little bit. We've been travel, able to travel now uh, after 15 kilometres from our homes. I don't know about you, but we've uh, started to try to make the most of it, uh, like almost to a day trip uh, or perhaps a half day trip. Uh, and so we've tried to make the most of it. Yesterday, we got to head up to the Dandenongs and got to have a look over uh, sky high from, from there over the uh, Melbourne and, and see the sights from there. Uh, and in this story today, uh, we see that Jesus uh, and his disciples, they get to go on a bit of a day trip as well. Uh, in fact, they even probably get to go overnight, but they get to go in a boat and they go on a bit of a day trip across the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and now Luke tells us that in the, the beginning of his gospel, that the reason that he's writing for us this account of Jesus' life uh, is so that we would have certainty uh, about who Jesus is. And there are two uh, incredible encounters that happen on this little day trip that are intended to to show us who Jesus really is. And it's all about revealing to us uh, the extent of his authority. Uh, And the first one that happens is is just immediately before the text that we looked at uh, just then, and you're probably familiar with it, it's uh, they're out on the boat and there's a big violent storm that comes and Jesus, just by speaking, calms the storm. And when that happens, the, the disciples who are with him, they, they, they ask, who is this man? And the implication of that, that question is actually, it terrifies them because they see that, that Jesus is someone who has the authority and the power over creation, that, that even the wind and the waves obey his voice. And in the second encounter, which is what we're looking at today, we see Jesus' authority over the spiritual realm. That not only does creation and what is seen obey him, but what is unseen. That even the demons bow to his authority. Uh, and as you probably uh, heard just then in our Bible reading, uh, this is uh, kind of one of the, the, the weirdest and strangest stories that we have in the Bible. Uh, we, we encounter one of probably the most jacked up guys in the Bible. Uh, he's, a, he's a raving madman. Uh, he lives in the grave, uh, graveyard and he, and he cuts himself and he yells all day and night. He has uh, some kind of superhuman strength. Uh, It's a story of hundreds of demons. It's a story of suicidal pigs running off cliffs. And then we we encounter some more people who are terrified of Jesus as well. Uh, So we're in for a fun one today. I hope you're with me. And as we just encounter and explore this story and encounter Jesus in it, we're spending some time uh, exploring and considering uh, this man's affliction uh, and then the demon's admission We'll see Jesus' sovereign intention and then we'll finish up by by considering three different responses that we see to Jesus. So let's start uh, looking at the man's affliction. So we're in Luke chapter 8, verse 26. It says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. 
Uh, so the, Jesus and his disciples, they had, they had left what was predominantly a, a Jewish area where, where people would have been, uh, they, they knew about who God was and familiar somewhat with the God of the Bible. And now they've crossed over the sea to the other side to a predominantly Gentile area. And so these people probably likely had, had little knowledge of who God was, who the, the God of the Bible is. And they probably practiced kind of all kinds of, of pagan religion and idol worship and vague spiritual, spirituality. Uh, and so verse 27 says, When Jesus had stepped out on land, there, uh, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And when, Jesus saw, uh, when he saw Jesus, he, he cried out, And he fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Then he, uh, Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. And uh, Now we need to uh, explain a, a little about what is going on here. And so the Bible tells us that there is not only a physical world that we can see and hear and touch and experience, but there's, there's also a spiritual world that is unseen. And when the Bible talks about uh, who we are as people and how we're made up as people, our anthropology Scripture tells us that we have two parts, a physical, material part, which is our our physical bodies, and an immaterial part, which is kind of variously described as our our spirit or our soul. Uh, And that includes things like our our heart and our mind and our affections and our will. And and so our heart and its desires and and our mind and its thoughts and our our will is all bound up in uh, that inner person or the, the spirit or the soul. And so we have an outer self and an inner self. And while these two aspects are distinct, uh, while we're on on earth and and alive in our body, these two are enmeshed. And and so our soul and our our heart and and our mind, that that affects our physical bodies to varying degrees. And and our physical bodies also affect our, our heart and our spirit and our mind. And when people are struggling or suffering, in various ways, and we, we have medication and we have treatments and we have principles that we can, we can give to the, the body and the mind, and those are necessary and helpful, but, but because we are body and soul, there, there can also be spiritual problems and spiritual suffering, and we can be afflicted in spiritual ways, and, and those things can, can affect the whole person as well. And that's what we see with this man here. Uh, physically, he, he seemed to have some kind of superhuman strength, so much so that he, he couldn't be bound by, by shackles and chains. And then just mentally, like, this guy's out of his mind. In, in the parallel account that we read in Mark chapter 5, he, he tells us this, this man would, would cut himself with stones and he would uh, be screaming and yelling all night and day. Uh, this man, he, he couldn't live in community uh, with other people, and so he lived among the tombs, among the dead. And so this man was just experiencing just a, an incredible amount of suffering, both physically and mentally. And, and we're told 
that it's because he was being controlled by demons, that it was a, a, a spiritual affliction and oppression. Now, now this idea uh, is not popular or believed today, but the Bible tells us, and the truth is, that, that we have a real spiritual enemy. His name is Satan or the, the devil, and he has an, an army of demons who, who work for him and against God and God's people. And Satan and his demons, they, they are not eternal like God is. They, they are not all-powerful like God is. And they are not all-knowing like God is, but they are created beings, and, and so they're, they're limited. And, and although they are powerful, they, they are limited in power and in knowledge. And, and although Satan and his demons, they, they've ultimately already been defeated by, by Jesus through his death on the cross and his resurrection. That, that even though that is true, that, that God still sovereignly, sovereignly permits Satan and his demons to operate on earth until the time when Jesus returns. And this means that we have a a real spiritual enemy who is working against us. He's he's actively trying to to turn us from God and to to blind our eyes and and he's hell-bent on our destruction. 2 Corinthians tells us that that Satan, he's trying to outwit us with his schemes. But... If we're aware of how he works, then we can be victorious over him. And so I just want to spend a few moments just considering five ways that the Bible talks about Satan and demons and the way that he wages war against us. Number one, in Matthew chapter 13, it describes him as the evil one. Satan and his demons are completely evil. Not a little bit evil and a little bit good. Uh, it's not yin and yang. It's, it's not like the force in, in Star Wars that's like kind of pantheism or panentheism that's kind of inherently morally neutral but can be used for either good or evil. No, no, Satan is completely evil and his demons are completely evil. Uh, and number two, uh, in Revelation chapter 12, uh, Satan is called the accuser. Sa- Satan accuses us. Here by, by reminding us of our, of our sin and, and, and accuses, us, accuses us of our uh, unworthiness before God. And so he's trying to, to, to cause you to, to doubt that, that because of your sin, you can be actually truly forgiven. And, and so he'll, he'll try to convince us and he'll, he'll say things like, you know, because of what you've done, because of who, who you are, that you are without hope. That you are beyond forgiveness, that you are beyond the grace and the love of God. And so he, he accuses us. Uh, number three, uh, John chapter eight, uh, Jesus says that he's the liar, a liar and the father of lives and then in, in our lies. And in Revelation 12, he says he is the deceiver. And so Jesus says that, that lying is, is the language that Satan speaks. And so when we lie, in, in a sense, we're, we're kind of speaking a demonic language. And so he wants us to lie, but he also wants us to, to believe lies. He wants us to believe lies about who we are, about your identity in Christ. He wants us to believe lies about who God is. He wants you to believe uh, false doctrine and, and he lies about the Bible. He says that it's, you know, it's not really God's word or, or it can't really be trusted. And, and that's why... 
uh, the devil's first words in the Bible back in Genesis chapter 3 to Eve. He says, you know, did God actually say to don't eat the, not, not to eat the fruit? And so he lies. And he wants to deceive you also uh, about who he truly is. Uh, the French poet Charles Baudelaire, uh, he famously wrote that the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. See, ultimately, Satan, Satan couldn't care less whether or not you believe in him. He, he just wants you to destroy you. And, and that's because, number four, 1 Peter chapter 5, it, it describes him as a roaring lion uh, that is prowling around and is looking for someone to devour and destroy. Jesus says that, that the devil comes to, to kill and rob and destroy and that he's a, he's a murderer. He, he wants to destroy relationships and marriages and families and destroy churches and communities and nations. He, he doesn't bring peace, but, but he brings disorder. And number five, he's also described as the tempter. Uh, we saw this back in our first sermon in our series uh, where we see uh, Satan trying to tempt Jesus in the desert. And so Satan tempts us to sin and rebel against God. And this is not just uh, sinning in overt ways, but he tempts us with things like uh, power and pride and influence. He, he tempts us with uh, the approval of others and, and tempts us with comforts. He's, he's trying to do anything he can to, to diminish just our humble dependence on God and, and anything to draw you away from, from loving God with all your heart and soul, mind and strength. That's uh, you know, by no means an exhaustive list, but these are some of the key ways that, that Satan and his demons are active in the world. And the Bible tells us that as humans, that we have been made in God's image. And when we image God as we are meant to, it means that we are in, in right relationship with God, that we are in right relationship with others, and we're also in right relationship with ourselves, that there's a, there's a wholeness. But, but Satan's goal is to dehumanize us. And that's the effect that, that sin has on all of us. It, it fractures the image of God in us. That, that because of our sin, that we have a, a broken relationship with God and our relationship with ourselves and, and our relationship with others is fractured. And that's what we see here to just an incredible degree with this man. That he's, he's being completely dehumanized. He, he lives like an animal, not like a man. He, he's completely alienated from other people. He's completely alienated from himself. And he's completely alienated from God. And it's because, as we read in verse 27, that he had demons. That he's being ruled, body and soul, by demons. And he, and he can't free himself. He can't save himself. So how, did, how did he get to this point? Well, we, we don't really know. We don't know his backstory. But, but at some point, uh, a, a long time earlier, in some way, he, he's succumbed to the devil's lives and, he, and he's been deceived and he's opened himself up to demonic influence in his life. Perhaps it was through kind of particularly dark and depraved and, and unrepentant habitual sin or perhaps it was through uh, false religion and, and worshipping and sacrificing to idols and false gods or, or perhaps it was through 
you know, actively engaging in, in occultic behavior and, and seeking to commune with various spirits and perhaps even actively inviting them into his life. But, but whatever the case, he, he'd been deceived and it eventually uh, got to a point where, where he'd allowed the demons to just have so much influence in his life and control that there were possibly hundreds or, or maybe even thousands of demons had actually entered into him and had completely taken over. Uh, the demon here identifies himself as legion. And uh, in that time, uh, a legion was a division of, of around 6,000 Roman soldiers. Now, demons, uh, well, they lie. So maybe he's exaggerating there. It's not quite true. But the, the scriptures confirm that he had many demons. Uh, again, in the parallel account in Mark chapter 5, uh, it talks of 2,000 pigs which all perished together. And so it may, it may not be completely unreasonable to, to assume that there was at least that many demons in this man. But the point is that this man was, he was being just assaulted by a powerful force, not unlike a Roman legion. These demons had, had just laid siege to his soul. Now you may be wondering, is it, is it possible for a Christian to be uh, possessed and oppressed and influenced by demons in this way that this man was? Well, Christians belong to God. And so if you're a Christian, if you're, if you're a true believer, then you've been bought by the blood of Jesus, that you belong to him and that you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And because that is true, it means that it's not possible for a true believer to be, to be indwelt and taken over by demons in the way that this man was. But, but that is possible for the unbeliever. But for the believer, you, you can still open yourself up to, to spiritual influences that are not of God and participate with Satan. Now we think of Simon Peter. Now, when he tries, to, he, he tries to rebuke Jesus and, and Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. Now, now, in that moment, Peter wasn't being controlled or filled with Satan, but he was, but he was listening to his lies and, and participating with his schemes. And so even though if you're a believer, you, you can't be taken over, it's, it's still possible for you to, to believe the devil's lies. To, to give in to his temptations, to, to engage in just ongoing, unrepentant sin. It's, it's, it's possible to be deceived into engaging into to false spiritual practices and, and allow the demonic to, to be victorious over you so that, that you're no longer growing in godliness and faith in God. And, and if you allow that to continue, the demonic oppression and influence can, can increase to a point where they can have just a, a very strong influence over your, your thoughts and your behavior and your spiritual life. So the Bible makes it very clear that this is very serious. And I, and I say that to you this morning, not, not to frighten you, but just to help you to be aware of the reality that we have a real spiritual enemy who is seeking to destroy you. But we don't need to be afraid because Jesus, Jesus is victorious over the devil and his demons. And so the, the power for victory over and freedom from demonic oppression is always available. 
And that's because when it comes to, to Jesus and demons, it's, it's not a fair fight. It's not a fair fight at all. Because though we've seen this man's spiritual affliction, let's now consider the demon's admission. The demon's admission. Uh, Verse 28. It says, When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with, with a loud voice, What have you to do with me? Or literally, what of you and me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you. Do not torment me. See, in this, this guy's dehumanized state, he, he, he can't even speak for himself. This is, this is the demon speaking through him. And what's interesting is that, that even in this Gentile area, uh, the demons know exactly who Jesus is. And what's even more interesting is that the last question that was asked in the text was at the end of of the last passage back in verse 25 before this bit where where Jesus calms the storm and and the disciples ask, who then is this? And it's as if the the demons are the ones to answer. Say, we know exactly who you are. You are Jesus. You are the, the son of the most high God. You are the one who rules over creation. And not only over creation, but of all angels and spirits and principalities and power, powers and, and even over us. And so we see that this, this isn't a fair fight. It can be easy for us to, to think that there's, there's some kind of cosmic dualism where, where good and evil are, are kind of equal or they balance each other out. You know, like every movie. Uh, the, the story or, uh, where the bad guy is, is just as strong or, or perhaps even stronger than the good guy or in the struggle between right and wrong and, and good and evil, it's, it's anyone's game. You know, it's, a, it's the power of the dark side of the force. You know, how could, how could Luke Skywalker possibly be, beat Darth Vader or perhaps it's Thanos in his Infinity Stones? I mean, stories are often not interesting or, or believable if we don't think that there's a chance that evil could triumph and win. But when it comes to God and Satan, when it comes to Jesus and demons, there's, there's not even a fight. And, and the demons know this. They, they know they have no power over Jesus. There, there's no, they know that there's no way that they can uh, outwit or outsmart him. And so the only thing they they can do is submit to his authority. I mean, Jesus, he doesn't even flex. He just turns up on the shore and and tells them all to leave. And and all they can do is is beg that Jesus won't torment them then and there. And so we see in verse uh, verse 30, Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, we know from the book of Revelation that there's a, there's a place of confinement that's reserved for demons and, and it's called the, the abyss or the bottomless pit. And it's a place of, of, of judgment and torment that, that even the demons are terrified of. See, even demons actually want their freedom. And when Jesus returns, he, he will judge all demons and they will be thrown into the abyss. One of Satan's 
greatest lies and deceptions in this world is, is this idea that, that hell isn't that bad. That, that hell is where he's free and it's where he rules and, and he's just throwing a big party for, you know, all the demons and the atheists and all those who don't like Jesus because Jesus isn't there. And, and if that's what it's like, then, then surely then that's where the G- demons would want to be. But Revelation 14 tells us that, that what is terrifying about that, this place, is that this torment happens in the very presence of Jesus. This hell, this, this torment, it's, it's not actually the, the absence of God's presence, but it's the, the presence of the Son of God and his judgment upon all those who reject him. And this is why the, the demons beg Jesus not to torment him, because torment them, because just being in his very presence is tormenting for them. And they know that this is just a, a foretaste of what is to come. See, the, Jesus, the demons know who Jesus is and, and they know that they are going to be tormented forever. They, they know what's coming for them in the future. And so all they can do is, is beg that Jesus not send them there yet. Now, even though Jesus gives them permission, what we see is that there's a a sovereign intention behind it. So let's consider Jesus' sovereign intention. Let's read verse 32. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they, they begged him to let them enter these. And so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Now, these, these few verses, uh, they, they raise a whole lot of questions for us. You know, one is, you know, uh, why, why is it that they wanted to enter the pigs? Or, or why did Jesus uh, permit them to enter the pigs? Was, was Jesus somehow um, negotiating with the demons and, and willing to kind of cave into their demands? Or, or was this perhaps an act of judgment on, on the pig farmers for their, for their Gentile ways and, and farming unclean animals? Why, why did the, the cliff, uh, the pigs, run off the cliff and drown? Did, did the demons actually kind of drive them off intentionally? That, that kind of seems unlikely from the text. Or did the pigs just lose control and, and go insane from this demonic presence? Or did the pigs perhaps uh, intentionally, uh, just out of their own volition and will, decide to commit suicide because they knew that that would be better than being oppressed? And the question is, is why... Uh, is there such little concern in the story for the, for the economic loss and, and the death of the pigs? I don't know about you, but, but when I imagine this kind of whole scene playing out, it kind of, you know, it makes me kind of sad and, you know, a tear comes to my eye because, you know, I can't help but think of the, the hundreds and hundreds of, of kilos of bacon that's just been wasted. See, many of these questions that the text doesn't really answer. But here's uh, four quick observations that I just want to make. Number one, the, the actions of the pigs shows us that this wasn't just, a, wasn't just Jesus healing a man with severe mental health problems, that, that this was spiritual. Second, we see that Jesus has the devil and his demons on a short leash. See, they can only do 
what Jesus allows them to do. And, and that's why just rather than doing what they want, they have to beg Jesus for permission. Third, we see that that leash is just long enough for the demons to hang themselves. See, whatever uh, the reason the, the demons were able to get what they want, they only, they only got it for just a moment. And then that was quickly destroyed. And so Jesus gives them just enough rope to hang themselves. And fourth, see that Jesus' love and concern for this man it far outweighed the, the creaturely or economic value of all those pigs. This doesn't mean that, that we shouldn't show care and concern for God's creation, but, but Jesus' wisdom just differs greatly to our world where the, uh, where the cockatoos that, that destroy my garden and, and poop on my car and, and squawk all morning, they actually have more legal protections and rights than the pre-born in our country. And if it took invading pigs with, with demons to their destruction to save one man from bondage to Satan, then, then Jesus was willing to sacrifice the entire herd. And we see how it is that, that, that Jesus doing this changes this man, how he was changed when he met Jesus. Verse 34. So when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and they told it in the city and in the country. And, and so news gets out. He starts uh, trending on uh, Twitter. It's all over the social media. Maybe he starts running a, a presser, 35. And then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus. And they found the man whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. What an incredible picture that is. I mean, this, this guy's been saved. He's, he's had his, his true humanity restored. He, he's, he's been clothed. Maybe, maybe he had a bath, maybe had a, a shave. He, he's not yelling and screaming anymore. He, he doesn't need to be chained. He, he's not cutting himself and, and all of his wounds have been healed. And it says that he's in his right mind. I love that. You know, it's for the first time in a, in a long time he's, he's actually thinking properly. He, he's thinking clearly. He's not, he's not hearing voices. He's, he's not being, believing lies. He's, he's not being deceived, but he's, he's at the feet of Jesus listening to him. And then we'll see that, that he goes around and speaking the words of God, not Satan. See, Jesus, Jesus changes people. That's why we don't give up on anyone. And sometimes people meet Jesus and, and he changes them in an instant. You know, they're addicted, anxious, tormented, uh, depressed, oppressed, possessed, self-absorbed. Uh, and then all of a sudden, people meet Jesus and they're changed. And that's what Jesus does. He, he saves people and he changes them. He, he frees them from spiritual bondage, from spiritual oppression, and he restores their humanity. But what we see in the text is that, that not everyone actually likes this about Jesus. So, so let's finish by just considering uh, the three different responses that we see to those who encounter Jesus. Three responses to Jesus. At the end of verse 35, it says that uh, the people, they were afraid. 36. Those who had seen it 
told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. See, when, when people encounter Jesus, no, no one responds with indifference. But in fact, in, in each case here, we see that the, the people are begging for something, that he provokes a strong reaction. And they know that they, they have to do something with Jesus. They, they have to do something with this Jesus. And the first response is, as we've seen, is from the demons. That Jesus turns up and the, the demons beg him. They, they beg him not to torment him. They beg Jesus not to throw them into the abyss. And they, they beg Jesus to allow him, them to enter into the pigs. That's the first one. The second one we see is the response from all the people. They, they come and they, they beg Jesus too. It says that they were seized with such great fear that they, they begged him to leave. So they, they see what Jesus has done. That, that this man who they, they all knew as the, the crazy, naked, self-mutilating madman, the, the one that they'd given up on, that he's been completely healed, that his, his humanity had been restored. And, and they see the, the kind of power of, and authority that, that Jesus has. That he has power over evil and over darkness. And, and they see what it might actually cost them to follow him. And that scares them so much that they just beg him to leave them alone. See, I, I don't think that they were just annoyed that he, he cost them all those pigs. If that was the case, then... They would have been angry, but, but probably not afraid. But, but in Scripture, fear, fear is the, the typical response when Jesus confronts people with who he truly is. So you have to, you have to do something with Jesus. And some people, they see who Jesus is. They see uh, what he has done. They, they see what he has to offer and and they see what, what Jesus demands and, and how much it will cost. And they say, yeah, nah, please leave me alone. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're, you've been checking out who Jesus is. And, and if all this is true, then, then this Jesus is actually kind of scary. I, I mean, if the, the God of the universe actually became a man and has this kind of power and this kind of authority, what, is, what does that demand of you? And perhaps some of you are even in church and you, are, you identify as a Christian and you, you tune in, perhaps you come along every so often, but, the, but at the end of the day, you're, you're, you're thinking, you know, I, I really just hope Jesus just kind of leaves me alone and, and doesn't really expect too much of me. But, but do you see the irony here in this text? Those people who were, for, for all intents and purposes, mostly normal. They, you know, they were the people who could think straight, they, they wore clothes, they, they speak normally, they, they lived in houses, they were, they were free to do what they want. Well, they meet Jesus and, and actually turn out to be the ones who are 
lost and deceived because they think their, their life is, is just in what they have. And so they're the ones who are held captive as well. And it's far easier for them to just keep going about their lives, to, to keep farming pigs, to, to keep watching Netflix and surfing the internet, to, to play video games and to, to keep chasing money, to, to keep chasing comfort and, and to fill their lives with hobbies. But when this demonised man, well, when he meets Jesus, that's, that's the third response we see. He also begs Jesus and he actually begs Jesus because he wants to devote his life to following him. And although it might seem a little bit strange, Jesus' response here, Jesus is actually saying, yes, yes, follow me with your whole life and, and do that by telling everyone about what it is that I've done for you. See, this, this spiritual war still rages. Je- Jesus has won, but the war still rages until he returns because there's many people who are still being held captive. And, and Jesus... He invites us today and commissions us, like he did this man, to to go and declare how much I've done for you. So what's your your response to Jesus today? Is it like these people who said, Jesus, just, just please leave me alone? Or is it like, this man who says, Jesus, you have you have saved me. You you can save me. I want to follow you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, we we thank you and we praise you that you have defeated Satan, that you are the the son of the most high God and that one day you will complete your judgment and there will be a day of justice and, and torment coming for Satan and his demons. We pray against the, the devil and his servants and their works and their effects in our lives and And we ask that you may help us to see more clearly how it is that he's seeking to deceive and destroy. Jesus, we thank you that that you have the the authority and the power to set people free from spiritual bondage and and from spiritual oppression. And, And we pray that you might be doing that right now. We pray for forgiveness and for grace and we confess those times that where we've been complicit with the enemy through our sin and, and through our willingness to believe his lies. Well, may we know and, and just be filled with your truth. We would see you clearly for, for who you are, that we may worship and follow you with all that we have. And it's in your mighty, mighty name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, Or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.